We're here, Amber. We're doing the Sonic. We're doing the Sonic OC episode. I can't wait. I told wait myself I'd never minute. do it. I wait told myself minute. I'd never do Sonic. Hang on, you. just a second here. I'm John Hello, Prime, everyone. and I thought we were doing the Commedia dell'arte episode today. What is Sonic uh, the Hedgehog if not modern Commedia dell'arte? We'll get to that. I fucking hate this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I fucking hate this shit. Um, <laughs> good morning, everyone. Welcome to Original Podcast. Do not steal. My name is Amber Autumn. She, her. I'm Prince Devin. My name and is... There's also a third person. My name is John Prime. I'm the special guest expert. My pronouns are he, him, and they, them. You can also find John on Twitter, at John Prime, which I know that John would want us to tell you all about. It's so um, much better that you tell them that than me tell them that. No, you're well. I'm looking out for you. Thank you. Um, uh, it, original podcast, Do Not Steal, is a podcast where every week, Devin and I, and also sometimes someone else, if we like them enough, get together and we talk about some kind of uh, intellectual property, concept, franchise, idea, hope, thing, belief, and we make an original character in that IP. And today, we're going to be classy and talk about uh, antique Italian community theater no um, that's that's no, just fuck. wrong <laughs> shit <laughs> off to a great this is why we have john prime on today um we are going to be discussing the hor- historical cultural uh art form of commedia dell'arte and apparently clearing some common misconceptions about it as is the tradition of everyone who talks about commedia dell'arte and then possibly making an oc at the end of that also that is correct which is going to be a weird little, a weird little trick that we have to do. Yes. Are we just going to make like a like a tiny Italian grandmother who's like, it's it's my day out to the theater. I'm going to put on this jester mask. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm so happy John's here for a, for an authoritative. That is not what we're talking about. <laughs> we really have gone way too many episodes without someone coming on to tell us that we have no fucking clue what's going on. We really, we're overdue for it. All right. Um, May I? John, do you want to talk to it? Yeah, please. So I'm going to give my credentials. Um, I, when I was at Northwestern, I was in a group uh, called the Panini Players, and we performed exclusively Commedia dell'arte. I was in that for four years. We studied it extensively, learning the history, the archetypes um, of all the stock characters. I like wrote a really like bomb ass like Renaissance history paper that my professors like. This is the coolest paper I've ever read about Commedia dell'arte and the cultural and context of it. I have worked with Antonio Fava, who is. The last living master of Commedia dell'arte, who was among uh, such experts as Dario Fo and Jacques Lecoq, um, in bringing back and revitalizing Commedia dell'arte. And Fava has devoted his life's work to writing about um, Commedia, preserving the history, restoring it into the modern era, and passing it down to the next generation. Um, I'm also in, I'm in the ensemble of Laughing Stock Theater in Chicago. Um, I think Chicago's only theater company that performs exclusively Commedia dell'arte. So I am perhaps one of the foremost experts in the world on this subject. 
as long i mean if you count like there's seven billion people like you know the the numbers game just works out um oh well fuck me buddy boy flashback to all the times i've done air quotes research for this podcast and it's listening to the ducktales crew talking at a con panel (laughs) also when you brought up the dude's name it sounds like lick cock and i was like i'm too stupid i'm too stupid to be here talking about this high class no jacques jacques lecoq is a it's a funny name it's also funny uh, <laughs> fava antonio fava fava is also slang for penis so part for the course okay so is is prime slang for dick in some way that i don't know is is your name in some way a, 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 a dick joke no but if my name was johnson it would be if i was you know john johnson instead of john prime there's a funny uh when there was a, a German Commedia variant, and one of the characters is named uh, Hanswurst, uh, which is John Sausages, it's his name. Anyways, how long will you let me talk about the history and also the art form? Because I can go for an hour, but you can stop me. Yeah, so we probably don't want you to talk for a full hour. I would say we would probably definitely want to be pivoted into talking about our OC okay. um, after like maybe 20 minutes. All right. I can do the drunk um, history version. Go. Um, so. Go, go forth. Although actually before you do that, do we want to talk about Devin and I's relationship with Commedia Del Arte? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Before this isn't, we, this isn't just a it. formal interview with me. This is a podcast. Please, please, please. It's just be. It'll be funnier if we get to embarrass ourselves before you tell us the actual information. It'll be funny if you um, embarrass yourselves at any point in this entire podcast. I mean, my whole relationship with Comedia is uh, uh, being friends with you for like seven years, and <laughs> you know, having seen you in the Panini players and whatnot, so forth, and also. Um, that at time of recording, I'm talking to this girl who's really into Commedia, so it's going to be really embarrassing when she listens to this and finds out I don't actually know anything about it. But and you'll get to impress her. I have. You'll get to impress her in real life uh, before it, this comes out and look really smart. Also, um, <laughs> who is this? Uh, excuse I, me? We can talk about that not on air. Okay, um. okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Breakout sesh. There is a universal truth of talking to someone and then they bring up a thing and you're like, I have passing knowledge. I can seem cool. And then there's egg on your face when they know what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah, that's that's us this episode. My Kevin, experience. Uh, you with, know. My experience oh, with fuck. talking to someone and dating and being like, I do Comedia Delarte. And they're like, ha ha ha. Is that like improv or something? And you're like, I mean... Yeah, but no, and then they never message you back. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> My Your first mistake of... was admitting to have done improv, sort of. No. Commedia dell'arte is usually the first mistake. <laughs> That's the only thing in the tender bio. It just says Commedia dell'arte. <laughs> <laughs> I would swipe right on that, actually. That's pretty funny. Devin, tell us about that uh, David Brian Gilbert video you watched. Yeah, Brian so David. That's Gilbert Brian. Brian David Gilbert. Yeah, the, the worst and best mustache on the internet. That's the most I know about Comedia dell'arte. He brought it up in the explaining all of the Fire Emblem unraveled video, and he's like, "It's archetypes in Italian plays." And I went, "I believe you. I 
this is the first time I've ever heard about it. You, you're wearing a suit and you speak with authority. That means you're correct, right? I appreciate that you held on to the words Commedia dell'arte after that, like, passing encounter. Oh, I also, I wrote it into a script uh, for a Creepy Freaks video I have yet to finish. and Because I, I was like, well, if I bring this up, people will think I'm smart because that sounds like a smart people thing. Yeah. And for what it's worth, yeah. Brian David David Brian Gilbert, he he's a very good teacher in that he's always good at framing things within what he's talking about. And he also gave the clever mnemonic, Commedia dell'anime. And you're like, oh, I understand video game archetypes. And now we can frame it into something else. And also he's he wears a suit and is very convincing. So let's jump off of that. Um, and by that, I mean, actually, let's talk about the history, which actually has nothing to do with his video at all. In the Italian Renaissance, there were all of these plagues and people just died. And it was the worst. Um, and it sucked and everyone hated Can't it. Can't relate. Completely I know. unrelatable. Yeah. I know, right? And at some point, the Italian government was like, dang, we need to like consolidate money and resources centrally oh except italy wasn't a unified country it was a bunch of separate like city states and smaller regions that all spoke their own individual dialect um, yeah so this is a pre um oh what the fuck is his name unification uh, no there's a, the the fucker who invented fascism who's the only bit of fun italy mussolini facts i know and i no, it's before him. There's there's a precursor to Mussolini who didn't name it that, but his life and the way he led it led to the invention of that. Like the the city he built unto himself that was this giant pit of sex and fucking and fighting and like communists and anarchists would all swell to this wonderful art city. Like that's where the the Zigheil like arm thing comes from. Fuck, why I can never remember his name. Now I feel bad. I have okay. no we'll idea what you're talking later. about, but yes, it's before that. Anyways, we actually have super, super detailed records of everyone who lived in Italy pretty much from the early 1500s onwards because of these tax forms called the Catasto, um, where they just would were like, hey, we're going to take a survey of every single person who lives here and see if you owe money to the government. And everyone who was a farmer was like, oh... You have land, you have children, and you make crops. You don't owe us any money. And, like, this whole process, like, worked its way up, and cities were stabilized, and blah, 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 blah. And eventually, the Italian Renaissance saw all of this, like, education, and the emerging middle class, and, like, people just had money. And they were like, whoa. Gabriel Denunzio. I'm sorry, I wanted to get that point back in. But yeah, it was, it was Gabriel D'Annunzio was the progenitor of fascism. Oh. Okay, I hate that guy. So there was all this money, and people were like, well, shit, like, we've got our beautiful cities, we've got food, we've got old men marrying young women for class purposes, and that's weird, but that's kind of another, that's just a thing. And so it was like different city-states would be like just want to flex on each other and this is where we see the rise of the great masters in the visual arts we see all the sculptors we see the painters the bronze workers all of 
the Western Italian masters of art were able to do so because they were getting paid. We had in the, in Western civilization up to this point, we had never seen artists besides like craftsmen and tradesmen be able to like sustain themselves on just making quote fine art. Like they were competitions for who could make the best bronze frieze for Verona or people would pay for painters and like be patrons of the art. And something that we forget in this time period is the invention of the actor as a professional. At this time, with all of the education, there was a resurgence in people studying the Greek classics. They were the classics even then. So Plautus and Terence and those plays that utilized stock characters. And the humanists in the universities in Padua and Bologna uh, would study these plays and they'd sit around in their, like, in the attic and, like, joke with each other and be like, wouldn't it be funny if the doddering professor spoke Latin slightly and correctly and made a fool of himself and they'd all chortle and they would act out these plays that they wrote in the style of Plautus and Terence with these stock characters. Um, and they were called dilettante, which is, just means non-professional actors. And at some point, the people who were street performers, like tumblers, acrobats, or jonglers, people who did juggling and also acrobatics and like normal like slapstick comedy and people who did oratory there was some kind of bleed over of these non-professional actors writing interesting scenarios with these old stock characters and the actual performers and like i don't i want to say non-professional actors even though they made money but just like street performers, for lack of a better word, who were extremely competent and were like, oh, well, the ordinary person isn't going to find any of this funny unless we do this, 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 and this. And so the masterwork was taking the ideas of the Greek classics that the humanists, quote, rediscovered and contemporizing them to Italian culture. And this resulted in the creating the creation of the Commedia dell'arte characters, theater as a profession, the birth of the, the invention of the actress. Like even Shakespeare didn't have women in his plays. They were played by castrati, like young boys who were castrated. Duh. Uh, so like there was never a woman that played Juliet until the modern era. Uh, Commedia dell'arte. So, go ahead. So the Commedia dell'arte is that one Romeo and Juliet movie that everyone clowns on where they have the guns that are swords. It's actually dope as fuck. Uh, I haven't seen it, but yeah, you're right. I'm just <laughs> going to agree with you on that one. I will take it. So it's, it's weird to say that Italy was progressive for the 1500s, but it really was because women had careers and like jobs well, progressive and... for the 1500s is like not murdering people <laughs> who look slightly different so i'm going to do a quick overview of the characters the first character archetype is the second zani second in terms of lower class this is the servant character the naive incompetent works really hard fails even worse progenitor of like 
most clown uh, with comedy revolving around failure. And the first Commedia-style plays were called Zanata, which were characters that were all Zani. The name comes from the Northern, Ital- Northern Italian dialect nickname for Giovanni, which is Zani, which are both John. Because, is that a JoJo reference? Uh, yes. As you know, in uh, JoJo, they all have a stand, and that Commedia dell'arte characters also have a very particular way that they walk, stand, comport themselves to physicalize oh. their character. Um, that was so much better than me just being like, oh, G.R. Giovanni from part five. <laughs> Thank you. And so like, there was a big famine in northern Italy and Bergamo, and so a lot of the farmers came to the cities to seek work. And because they didn't speak the dialect, they didn't really know what was going on, but like they kind of did. And so... If you needed people to do like grunt work, you'd be like, hey, Zani, and like guys would show up and they would carry your sacks of flour into the top floor of your house for like cheap. So it was a very relatable person, and these shows would be people paid to see them. This wasn't like street theater. This was like you paid, you bought a chair, you bought a seat. Like sometimes literally you pay for the chair that you get to sit in, um, and you see the show. And it was funny, people laugh, they're slapstick. Masks were used to identify specific characters. We don't have visual aids because this is a podcast, um, so I won't. We won't be able to like show you. This is what Arlecchino looks like, or this is Burrettino, or this is Bagatino, or any other kind of Eno second Zani. But they were accompanied by the next character that was added was one of the Vecchio which means old man. It's literally, if there's no specialness to it, it's just old man is literally what vecchio means. It means old. And so the first uh, of the two vecchi was Pantalone. He is the like merchant character. He's really old. He's really just like, he is the impetus for like, hey, Zani, go, go do the work. What are you doing? You're so lazy. I'm going to beat you. But he's also usually like the subject of ridicule of sometimes the servant's failing winds up inconveniencing or ruining Pantalone's day. Um, and so those those were Zanata, which was second Zani, second Zani and Pantalone. And there was also a first Zani character who was slightly smarter. Between the, the first Zani and second Zani, they share about one brain cell. But you, it's usually it's like two-thirds, one-third... And there's more varied archetypes for the first Zani. Like there's Pedrolino, who is like kind of a butlery type character, who's very like everything has to be right, everything has to be a certain way. I'm very stressed about it. It's very important. I like my job. I need to have it. Very neurotic. Um, Pedrolino evolved over time into the French Pierrot, the white faced sad clown kind of thing. Even though that's not what he actually is in Commedia. There's uh, Brigella, which is like a schemy, like he's smart enough to hate his life and want it to be better, kind of like a wily e. Coyote character, who's usually not the greatest guy, but all of his plans blow up in his face. Uh, there's also Columbina, who is a, a woman first Zani, who's quite typically the smartest character on stage, is, a, is able to like see, like, is everyone around me an idiot, but is still stuck to her social archetype class 
There's also a, a, a woman, Sekinzani, Serveta, who's not smart, but is funny. Uh, they're all funny. They're all, no one is actually smart. So over time, things evolved, and they're like, oh, well, what if we had, who else lives here? Oh, the old man, sorry, the Pantalone archetype is based on, like, what I said earlier of, like, there were lecherous old Italian men marrying young Italian women, often with, like, an 11-year age gap, and we know this from all the catasto um, that occurred of, like, oh, we could see who's getting married in the marriage records. And, like, oh, that's so weird that the young men can't marry the young women, and there's all this wealth and politics. So watching a Pentalone-type character get his comeuppance was really, like, culturally satisfying. And for the first Zani, it's like, oh, that's the baker. He always has flour on his face, and he has to do all these things. Um, so these were everyday people you saw in your everyday life. And that's why Commedia is often... It is everyday life, but heightened. So then, naturally, to add to the whole we hate this lecherous old man, there are the children, the young lovers, um, called the male and female lovers, or the inamorati, inamorato, inamorata, who are just young adults. They are in love with being in love. They are beautiful. They are like they are from the wrong play. It's like they came into this weird, wacky world where everyone's like <laughs> hitting each other. And they're there and they're like, I am so in love. I am so impossibly in love. And I am a heartbroken that my father wants to marry my fiance. Or he wants me to marry this other woman who I don't love. Or he is he wants my my love of my life to marry this weird foreign soldier who's occupying Italy at the time and it sucks. And they added plot. They added plot and substance to a what was mostly just like so, this is entertainment but now there's like drama and comedy and it's like whoa you're gonna say something some motherfucking the butterfly lovers fall ass backwards into elvin costello and now we have a story yeah i i didn't quite hear you funny. but i think you said everything right um i'll take it yeah and then there's so those are the first lovers there's also the second lovers which are il capitano because a lot of times parts of italy were occupied by spain and there were spanish soldiers who just showed up and were like horrible and mean and bad and they were a subject of ridicule as like they were portrayed as like big machismo like the kind of guy el capitano would be the kind of guy who's like you see him in the gym and he's like holding a dumbbell and then someone walks by and he's like, thousand and eight, thousand and nine. And then they walk away and he just puts it down. Or he's the kind of guy you see at the bar and he talks about all the women he has sex with, but you've never seen him leave the bar with anyone. I love Alex Jones in my classic Italian street paintings. Why'd I say paintings? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> well, that is how we know a lot about Comedia dell'arte is the paintings of it, which is why there's a lot of misconceptions about what it was like is because it's hard to capture action of live theater in just a painting um so you get the costumes you get the masks you get the the poses and the weird things and it's hard to take away anything else um so a lot of people do think of it as just a style and not like anything else and then there's la signora who is an older woman can be business savvy can be a cougar uh, usually very yeah. sexual, has a lot of in, in, uh, interpretations, smart, well-to-do, 
can be a widow, can be a wife of uh, Pantalone or the other Vecchi, uh, Dottore. Dottore is a parody of the humanists, the ones who helped revitalize the, the Greek plays, but not the ones who helped contextualize it to contemporary Italy. Um, Dottore is the old professor, the lecture pedant character, who is just like, it's where we get doddering old professor from. Uh, Dottore. Um, Hubert Farnsworth? Who? Hubert Farnsworth from Futurama? Yeah! Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I don't uh, watch TV that people watch, so I've never heard of anything before. Um, that's a joke. That's called a joke in the business. But it, it um, does sound like you did know this one. I so should know that one, truth, actually. John? So Dottore is very much thinks he's really smart, has a billion degrees and everything doesn't really know anything at all the humanists would make him say like some latin words wrong the actual actors made him say things that just made complete nonsense in latin didn't there were no puns it was like mixing of latin italian spanish other dialects and other things into like not gibberish but like very like anyone in the street or anyone that bought a ticket to the show would get that like oh He's supposed to be really smart, but he's like a quack. Um, and he's it's usually... another JoJo reference. <laughs> That's they right. They really were ripping off JoJo. That's with right. Media dell'arte. <laughs> it's so funny how that happened. And so that's pretty much the cast of characters. Is you have so those are the stock archetypes. If you have the two old men, the rich one and the the professor one, you have the two lovers who are in love. You have the second lovers, who are Capitano, the foreign soldier fake, Signora, who is the horny cougar businesswoman. Um, you have the first Zani, who are in a pretty okay place societally, but Pedrolino is very desperate to hold on to his position, and Brigella is very desperate to move up socially, but fails. And the two second Zani, who are just the servants, they do the grunt work, um, they're not stupid, they're naive, because they're not familiar with, like, city life and everything else, and they are just such buffoons. Questions so far before I want to, I do want to do, like, a couple anecdotes historically um, before we jump into character creation, or am I running too long? Um, uh, it's okay to run a little bit long, I sort of expected it. I, so I am curious, just like thinking ahead towards character creation about one of the ways these characters work. I So earlier, Devin like had a pitch where he said like, what if we had like a, like an old woman uh, uh, running around who had wandered into the theater? Uh, and, and you were like, no, that's not how it works. And I'm curious about why not, because I understand the concept of the characters being stock archetypes, but they're also like characters who like have very specific names and very specific roles and personalities and stories to them. That is an excellent so what, question. And I can... Yeah, what's, what's going on there? I can respectfully explain why such a character would not be successful or entertaining. Um, totally. <laughs> <laughs> specifically in the context of Commedia dell'arte excuse me so here's why your character's dumb and your idea's worse in this context so i said earlier Commedia 
is the comedy of everyday life. It is real life, but heightened. And we we laugh because we recognize the things we see in the characters in parts of our own lives, in parts of people we know, in the world around us. It is easily accessible. It is, it's the same way that we watch cartoons and we understand, or sitcoms, and we understand all of the roles of the characters, their interpersonal relationships. And it's how you can turn on an episode of SpongeBob and you don't need to watch every single episode to understand, oh, SpongeBob is like, he's one of the Zani and Patrick is one of the second Zani and like Mr. Krabs is Pantalone and so on and so forth. So my question is who in, in everyday life is confused grandma lady that wanders on stage and doesn't know she's in a play. I mean, I work at a library and like yesterday I helped an old person learn how to use the mouse. I helped an old person learn how to turn the volume down on a YouTube video. I helped an old person like know how to set up a pin on the computer because she didn't have a computer of her own. Great. So, so I don't that's, know, that's, that's like... an example of an elderly woman being unsure or unfamiliar with modern society. Now I have a follow-up question. Is that something that we take joy in ridiculing? Depends on who you are. Depends on who you are. Yeah, hopefully not. Hopefully not. We like to see the rich old man have a bad day. We love that. We want him to fail. We... We don't want to have the nice old confused woman come on stage and be ridiculed. It would be in very poor taste. Not to say that you were bad to think that because like, oh, she's confused and want her on stage. That's, that's like a funny bit. But because we were relating this to real life, the truth in that situation would be um, more tragic if the other characters and the audience made a mockery of her confusion. So that's why I was like, no, that that's not funny in this context. So okay, okay so, so like, go ahead. So so this is like when when comedians talk about like, what's the word I'm looking for? Give me one. Punching second. up. Like, like comedy is derived from shared experience and expectation, and also like you said, yeah, punching up. So we're looking for like things we recognize that would be humorous in everyday life, and you want to punch up. So the joke is not, ha ha, old lady, don't get world, right? Yeah. There's, but there are, there's always the joke of like, oh, my grandpa's like, what's a Twitter? And like, that's kind of funny because it's not a character judgment. It's just like, a, we are different and it is in our differences that we sometimes find humor. Um, yeah, it's, it's when my grandpa looked over at me and was like, hey, Devin, have you ever heard about memes? Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. That is funny. But it's different when you put it on stage in front of an audience and they're interacting with other archetypal characters. So so how can I talk about how some characters were created historically? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, an interesting, two interesting things are like characters would change and evolve over time based on the regions they were in. Um, usually in a troupe of professional actors. Sorry, Commedia dell'arte doesn't mean... Uh, the art of comedy, it means professional theater. Arte is job. Art is short for artifice or artisan. To 
do Comedia dell'arte is to do professional theater. It wasn't called that until years later. It was called um, Comedia all'improvviso because a lot of it was improvised. Improvised in the same way that SNL is improvised, where they have improvisers and writers in a room and they improvise it until they get something they like and they have a lot of material in their back pocket they can pull out. Not improv as in Second City or where improv is the art. Improv is the means with which they create the material and it still is that today. Um, so it's called uh, Comedia all'improviso, Comedia alla mascara, comedy with masks. In French, they called it Comedie Italienne, Italian comedy. And it was widespread across Europe with kings, royalty, dukes, everybody and their mom had to have their own comedia company. They, it was like, like you, like they lived wonderful lives. Um, one of the, the anecdote I want to tell is, I'll tell one, and it's about one of the famous companies, E. Gelosi, uh, which is either the jealous ones or the zealous ones, depending on how you translate it. I like jealous because I mean, their motto was, we are jealous for fame, money, and power, or something <laughs> to that effect, uh, which is like, you're a bunch of actors. The most famous actress at the time, Isabella Andreini, along with her husband, Francesco Andreini, and the Capo Comico, which is the head of the troupe, uh, Flaminio, Flaminio Scala, were like world-renowned, at least in, you know, Italy and all of Europe, Germany, Austria, France, especially. And the King of France, whatever his name was at the time, was like, we have to have Igelosi come and play in the court. And they're like, our Pantalone, our actor who plays Pantalone, is very old. He, we don't know if he'll survive the trip over across the Alps. <laughs> um, and they're like, oh, but you, but you must come. You simply must come and entertain the king. And so they did. And the Pantalone died on the oh, way there. Fuck. So they get, they get to France... And Isabella Andreini, an amazing actress, um, spoke like five languages, wrote her own plays and things, um, said, I can play Pantalone. And everyone's like, what? Like, I know all his lines. We're not in any of the same scenes together. I can play Pantalone in the scenarios that I'm not in. And they're like, ah, I, I don't, we don't really have any other option. And so it was really, she did. She played Pantalone, and she killed. So there was an interesting thing of women could play men because of the mask. So wearing the mask created the character, regardless of the body or the gender of the actor. And additionally, women played most of the characters unmasked, as well as the both young lovers were unmasked to showcase their natural beauty, the men and women. So it was like, whoa... Isabella Andreini can do it all. She can play the guy's parts even better than they can. And she had her face on Italian currency is how famous she was. So I mean, every, me too, so every actor can have their own interpretation of a character and they can grow and change over time. For instance, when I play Pantalone or Dottore, I never play them gross and lecherous because I don't think that's interesting or funny in our culture today um it's usually like that's horrible and awful we get immediately uncomfortable and we don't enjoy seeing it even though we would enjoy the character uh being duped or thwarted or dunked on so i tend i tend to have my pantalone be very 
trying to be politically correct <laughs> and failing to do so, like trying to be a better boss to his employees and like that's kind of funny trying to struggle to fit in with modernity of like like getting really mad and like i'm sorry like I, I'm, I'm working on expressing my feelings better i know we've talked about this like i know you're doing your best i'm just really upset it's important to me um uh, i won't give you a raise but uh i am sorry <laughs> and so throwing in elements of our own lives in terms of what we think is important to this character as individual actors improvising playing with the role and keeping it keeping the character true to their nature if that makes sense so for us to create it is very hard to create a brand new stock character um that is the point of stock characters is you can't really have more than there are However, you can create a new type of an existing character. So how does this process normally start? I think I'm going to hand the reins over to y'all. Or are there, uh, are there more yeah. questions or thoughts? I, I, think, I think where we are, it does make sense so, to give it a character. But sorry, Devin, go. Yeah, no, I just, I just wanted to say that the, the act of sort of collaborative character creation through your read on a situation and what's funny is very thematically appropriate for the collaborative process of character creation in this show and perhaps the real Commedia dell'arte was the podcasting we did along the way i'm out i did it yeah have you just been trying to make that the entire time that joke just for the whole runtime of the show no but it ca it happened and i've capped um so you guys can finish the rest of the podcast without me i've all succeeded right. uh, nice talking to okay, you bye devin bye guys bye. i love you see you later bye <laughs> love you bye all right well, now that he's so, gone uh what kind of character do you want to start with like who do you what archetype do you think is the most interesting uh amber shit. you know okay, you so want to say have... the the business milf I know you, bitch. I don't know. I like, like I like that in that it's funny to like pretend to hit on the fictional character. To be well, like, she yeah, would, this fake milk. She would most is... likely be hitting on all the men. Oh, uh, what a girl boss! She honestly, um. the best descriptor of Signora is she is a girl boss. Whether like... she is employed or not, or rich or not. She is the epitome of girl boss. Petra from Jane the Virgin. Yeah, I, I haven't read that. The comedy in that one is no one here but me is going to get it. That's Oh, that I mean, watch that. Was. That's a show. It is. <laughs> no, but no one corrected me when I said read seconds. that. Uh, I have a hard time imagining a version of Signora in the like contemporary day that doesn't feel a little bit like weirdly misogynistic to me unless we make her like like we lean into the idea that she's a karen in which case it's fine i think a lot of her agency as a character comes from using being a woman and being able to i don't want to say weaponize it but like no other character in the the canon could solve problems or approach problems in the way that she can. And she is very much like capable and like 
it's the whole like some women are empowered through uh, modesty some are empowered through sexuality and i think she's a she is a feminist in the way that she's like i'm gonna be hot and get whatever i want because it empowers me um and that is it's a really interesting character to look at especially today well, we also don't have thing. to lock into senora it's a good thing that John and I are here to tell you, Amber, what is empowering to a woman in the modern day. I mean, it is lucky because I don't fucking know. Um, uh, no, probably like what, like economic stability would be like that would be a high one up there. Um, Findom. Uh, so yeah, okay. So we have. Is no one so gonna laugh at the Findom joke? That was funny. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I totally, I totally glazed over that. But you're right. That is funny. That it, okay. I didn't catch it. I thought you said paladon, and I was like, why is he talking about dinosaurs? No. So we don't have to lock in for Senora. We can do anyone. So we've got the young lovers who are uh, in love, and they bring drama into the world. We have the two uh, old men, Vittoria yep, and Pantalone. We have, um, we have the first Zani. who is a fucking buffoon, a fucking fool, and a chump. So the second Zani and the first Zani. So first Zani being slightly high, smarter and higher social status. Second Zani, just bottom of the food chain. Really comically stupid in a naive way, but not in a stupid way. So do we want to work forwards from the archetype or backwards from an end goal? Um, I don't have an end goal, which makes me feel like archetype is easy. I have like this instinct to be like, oh, what if we took the Zani at the bottom of the food chain and just like made him an incel? Um, but we already did, we already did an incel character. So I'm trying to find another angle. Yeah. A better incel candidate would be Pantalone, but I agree. Let us, I think let's avoid it just so like your podcast can have a little variety and it's not like the let's create an incel show. <laughs> I just like you like you say we got to make someone kind of shitty who we can all laugh at and have a good time laughing at. Uh, and what can I say? My brain immediately goes to incel. So well, we had we had that problem at Bristol. Uh, I worked at the Bristol Renaissance Fair. Oops, I just outed myself. Uh, anyways, we had a scenario where we had a senora and a pantalone who were married and we were really worried we were going to like offend any like quote red pilled incel people by having the senora take advantage of pantalone's wealth and we were we had to be very careful to not play it as we're making fun of incels because at a renaissance fair you never really know what your audience is going to be because these are people who enjoy the world the way it used to be back in the good old days um i just believe in traditional values and I think I should have a state-mandated girlfriend, okay? I'm not a bad guy, but all of the alpha chads are taking all of the sex because, and then they go into a rant about phrenology, and everyone is made uncomfortable. Yes, so we had to be very careful to tread around that, portraying that. But also, some people at Renaissance Fairs just like to dress up like their favorite fantasy characters, and sometimes there's Star Trek people, and sometimes there's Doctor Who people, and I think... I'm really happy that y'all get to play dress up with all of your friends. And I'm not, I'm not being like sardonic. I really am like, I'm glad that you get to have that, but also be wary that, you know, it's a Renaissance fair, not a fantasy fair. There's this very specific time period thing. Anyways, 
characters. <laughs> well, now I'm I've I'm stupid. So you were like, there'll be Star Trek people. I'm like, oh, that's a great bit. You pretend you're in a Star Trek episode at the Renaissance <laughs> Fair. That's funny. People do that. They do that. It's really cool. They think that like I, I there's there's a bunch of posts about that. If you want to read it, I'll tell you about it later. That's funny as hell. Um, okay, what are other kinds of shitty dudes in the world who we can make fun of and it can be fun to do it? Well, they don't have to be shitty. They can be people you relate to. People that you're like, oh, that's so me. Oh my god. I remember when I was like so tired and hungry at the same time. I didn't know which one to do first. Or like I remember when I was so blindly in love, I would like kill anyone that talked to my partner <laughs> Or my crush, or it doesn't have to be people that are bad that need comeuppance. It can so I, be. It's I fun. Have a, I have a question. Yeah. It's a you know relatable sort of base. How how far are we allowed to stretch that? Like you were like, I'll murder everyone. Like, can we have the hijinks be he keeps murdering the other players to the point where there's no one left by the end of the play? Like how? Within the realms of reality, do we need to play? Great question. So, in Committed Alert Day, nobody ever learns, grows, changes, or dies. Uh, there is always homeostasis maintained at the start of the show and the end of the show. I like to describe it as the world exists inside of a snow globe. And at the beginning of the show, uh, somebody picks up the snow globe and shakes it. And that is the inciting incident. And the rest of the scenario is figuring out how all of the snow falls and returns back to normal, where nothing has changed fundamentally. And you could watch any Committee to Larte performance without there ever being a serial arc or continuity. So, how no, no one can die. There's also no magic. There's also no God. Um, no magic, no God. Got it. No death. No death without magical resurrection, but we've gone over the problems there already. But, like, someone could think they were dead. You could have someone think they died and turned into a ghost. Oh, a yeah. They're just... their head. <laughs> and then they're, they're just... like, am I a ghost? Oh, no, I'm a ghost. What am I going to do? Oh, that's God. Oh, no. Yeah, they're we just pretending they're a ghost. And everyone's like, You're... Yeah, it's a bed sheet. They're not pretending. They really think they are. Didn't we do a bit one time where we, like, mapped the Gilligan's Island characters onto Comedia characters? Yes, but it's been too long and I can't remember. Okay. Okay, this is taking too long. I'm going to pick for us. We're going to choose the first Zani character. Someone who has a spot in society where they would either like to move upwards or firmly hold their position where they are. And now we can choose either one and then we can choose the methods in which they will maintain this, their demeanor and so on and also a name these uh first zani characters usually also have an eno like there's pedrolino there's scapino um there's brigella in uh, southern italy there's pulcinella is a name and we could you could make up any eno kind of name tapacino cappuccino um tapatio tapatino <laughs> okay so my first instinct upon hearing that um, is a high schooler trying to get in with the cool kids. So it's like a high schooler at a part-time job that turned into a full-time job? 
I didn't mention a job. I was talking about like like social cliques in the high school. Ah, well, everyone is working. Everyone has ah. to work. Okay. All of the all of the Zani are they work for both Vecchi. Um, no one is unemployed except for the lovers who are children of rich parents. So Pedrolino, or a first Zani type character, who is very young and trying to be really cool um, with perhaps older first Zani co-worker, both their bosses and the young lovers, is a very interesting angle. God, this is just how I play Reed in the D&D AU where it's a high school drama. That was yeah. just for me. No um, one else is going to get that. I got that one. What are you? I was in that campaign. Oh, yeah, you I were. I was DMing that. I DMed that campaign, bitch. I forget the rest of you exist. They're all my characters now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. So they're at a job. There's some kind of like social hierarchy at the job that can be um, worked through. Um, and is this allowed to be contemporary? I'm so confused about what aspects of these characters need to be constant and which ones can be adapted. So usually it's everyone. There are two houses. There's Pantalone's house and there's Dottore's house. And the city is like, there's like a main road that runs between them. Sometimes they all take place inside. Sometimes they take place between two houses. Most of the drama is confined between the two families, household systems, Capitano will show up sometimes and be like, I'm here to be horny and masculine. Um, oh, no, and then Signora one. is that, but a woman. Um, and it's very self-contained. So within that, usually the work that needs to be done is like personal assistant for Pantalone or Dottore. Or um, like household, like like a housekeeper of doing all the laundry, making like a, or a cook, or these are people who work for the families. I think that there's a character in the movie Real Genius, which is a movie that I guess I know about and can pull from, named Kent. And uh, Kent works for uh, this professor. He's a grad student. And uh, in theory, he's just in charge of the like like the the work on on laser technology that they're doing um but he also spends the rest of his like spare time like taking care of the professor's like dry cleaning and shit because he really wants to get on his good side um that's exactly and then you it. have like like a like a like a little power play between him and the rest of the grad students there trying to get in this the good graces of this professor who could not give less of a shit that's, yeah that's yeah um that's a great take Incredible. That is a great doing commedia all along. I mean, yeah, it's hard to escape people who have tried to like categorize any role you can play in society. Okay, um, so so we have some kind of first Zani character with responsibilities, underling, so like assistant manager type kind of guy. Um, I think. Do you want to pick Datore as like main guy or Pantalone for? Yeah. And I think I think since Devin said coffee shop AU, it's a coffee shop. Um, it's Pantalone's uh, coffee shop. It's Pantalone's coffee shop. Absolutely, that's exactly it. Um, and the, and and Zanny is is 
you know, a, an old an old employee at the coffee shop, and maybe and maybe a new employee has come in to shake up the situation. Did you um, say Danny? And they don't get along well. What? Did you say Danny? I said Zanny. Did I say Danny? I meant to say Zanny. It's Zanny. Yeah, that's what I said. Zanny. It's Zanny's where we get the word Zany from. That's always fun to bring up. You must so, be yeah. so cool at parties. I I really am. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I Is think that... it could just... It doesn't even have to be a new employee. It could be the regular, same old Arlecchino, second Zani type character. Just not knowing how to make espresso. Just like cannot do it. Okay, Cannot okay. remember anyone's names. And... They've... They've introduced the first Zani. an employee of the month program. Um, oh my god! Uh, oh my but god! Oh my like, god! But like the prize for being employee of the month is something deeply shitty that doesn't matter at all. Um, but Zani still cares so fucking much, and that's like the that's like the impetus, right? Yeah, I think it could be fun to do instead of employee, it would be assistant manager of the month, which would then pit uh, Pedrolino. If we're using Pedrolino, we can pick a different name later against a different first Zani assistant manager who is also there, who is trying less hard effort-wise, but could be scheming against uh, to just, like, look like they're doing work. Do these so characters the- all have to have their original names? Can we give them new names with the understanding that they are the same archetypes? Do you mean, like, Pete? Yeah. I mean, you could, but then you're just making a sitcom. Right. That's right. We we're making OCs here, right? Like, I understand it's like a new interpretation of an old character, which we have allowed ourselves space for before we made a new interpretation of Oracle in our in our Titans episode. So do you... My question is, do you want to make a Commedia dell'arte character, or do you want to make a stock character who is inspired by Commedia dell'arte? They're both I, good. They're both fine. But if I you want to do the second one, I don't fully understand the difference. You couldn't play Pete. I couldn't go to Laughing Stock Theater and play a character named Pete. Um. Well, everyone, everyone would be like, "Who's Pete? What? What is Pete's deal? <laughs> what kind of mask? What mask does Pete wear? What is I'd his like, costume well, like?" Well, Pete wears several different masks because the thing about the classic Disney characters is much like the Muppets. They're not so much characters so much as actors in a show. That's why Goofy can show up and experience empty nest syndrome and it doesn't feel broken because it's more the actor, the essence of Goofy. So Pete has worn many different hats throughout his years. Sometimes he's a pirate, sometimes he's got a peg leg, sometimes he's a monster, sometimes he's just a shitty neighbor. That's my Disney thesis. No, that actually actually feels like really applicable because you have it like it is Zani, um, uh, Zani Mask, and in the context of the bit of that, that particular sketch, his name is Pete. Does that, because he's because he's per- like the Muppets or the Disney characters, right? Like you have Gonzo the Great as Charles Dickens. Does that make sense at all? I'm thinking at that, my brain is telling me, well, at that point, you're just doing sketch comedy. There's a, there's a traditionalist thing in me that says it's important that the name is an Italian name that means something. But there's a, a modern part of me that's like... <laughs> Always Sunny is committed to Larte, and Charlie has to be Charlie. So let's okay. do the name last. That's why we do the name last. Because <laughs> that's. Um, I'm going to be stuck on that, and I still need to think about how Zani, I. Zani, whose name may or may not be Pete, 
um, uh, has been offered this Employee of the Month award and wants to go after it. Um, and, it, and it's a coffee shop AU. So is he just like a Dwight character, right? Are we just making Dwight Schrute but in a coffee shop? Interesting. You can, you can have it be Dwight, but we don't like Dwight. We do not root for Dwight. It's true. You know? Imagine if there was a foil to Dwight that wasn't Jim, who had his same wants to perform and be loved but was like liked right. by the audience. We wanted them to succeed. Totally. We rooted for them. Um, so do we want audiences like, oh my God, this insufferable brown noser or, oh, they're, they're trying so hard. Look at them go. Oh my goodness. Pete. Let's just use Pete. <laughs> Pete's funny. Yeah. Thus is the I power of Jim Cummings. Yes. Uh, let's. So let's. So then, sympathetic Dwight. What does that look like? Okay. How does this? How does this character dress? What do they do in their in their moment to moment actions? They care. They are very invested. They are hyper invested in the work. In, um, the delegation of the work. Does Pete wear a suit to his shitty coffee job? So this is SpongeBob. Imagine if SpongeBob was eight percent smarter. That's a very precise number. And and someone worked for SpongeBob, and he had his own job, but he also had to make sure someone else did their job. So imagine if Patrick. There is an episode where Patrick works at the Krusty Krab, and he's really bad at it. But imagine if SpongeBob was more stressed and invested in Patrick's work because there were stakes on the line, such as the Employee of the Month award. So the the conflict plays out of Pete is just like let's do Darren for the second oh, time. Like Darren. You have you have to get people's names right today. It is the last day of to be eligible for the Employee of the Month award and I really need this because if because if you work poorly, my assistant managerial skills go out the window and Darren's like I totally got this. But Darren is a klutz. They can't write anyone's names down right. They get the orders wrong. You do the Simpsons gag where he's like, Scusi, I have a gelato for a Seymour Butts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and like the other assistant manager could come in and give the fake name orders and not pay for any drinks just to like make the other guy look, make Pete look bad. Or the lovers could come in. And uh, they could be saying their names as, I can't believe you would do this to me, Isabella. (laughs) And then Darren goes to, or Pete goes to call out the order and says, I can't believe you would do this to me, Isabella. (laughs) And she's also in the coffee shop and they're fighting by sending notes via the, the orders called until Pete is like, I can't do this anymore. This is... This is horrible. That's a funny oh, bit. That's good. That's like the one time I was in Verizon and they didn't take down my name, <laughs> but I was wearing a Kirby shirt and they went, Kirby? And I was like, I'm Devin. <laughs> no, you're Kirby. You're Kirby now. I mean, I love Kirby, but like, I have a name. Like, parents didn't give me a lot other than trauma, but they gave Oof. me a fucking name. Why does that come up so often in this podcast? Um, so. <laughs> It took it took a long time to get there, but it kind of feels like the character fell into place very, very quickly when we got there. It kind of feels like 
Like Pete's already a, a pretty clear character. Um, what does Pete look like? What does Pete wear? I feel like Pete wears a suit to work, even though he doesn't need to. Pete wears the the green Starbucks apron and um, like a button-up shirt with the sleeves rolled up, and has like a really really crisp crew cut and black pants. I don't want to go full three-piece, but I, I feel like Pete, as someone who wants to be perceived as the manager of the month, would wear a tie to work. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, but just like a, a small black tie. And he also has like coffee ground coffee grounds dust all over him. That's cute. Yeah, because Pete, Pete's in it. Pete works and with his hands. And of course... He is also yeah. wearing the mask because you gotta also be where everyone in the everyone in the coffee shop is wearing the mask because that's part of it. Um, not Pete. He's a. If we have him as like a subset type of Pedrolino, Pedrolino and Colombina are the two first Zani that don't wear masks. So you'd get to see his innocent little face, and how much he cared and emoted, and interacting um, with all the people who his are real wearing effort masks. and disappointment. Yes, it would set him apart as. I don't want to say more relatable or more human because they are all human and all relatable, but I think uh, traditionally the it's Pedro the type I'm going to talk about pro wrestling fuckers. I did it again, but it's one of the re- one of the reasons luchadors can struggle to get over to an American audience is because so much of wrestling is done in the face. So much emo- It's why yep. Kazuchika Okada is the best in the world because he has the best facial expressions. But when you put uh, a mask on uh, El Super Dragon. It's kind of, like you can't. You're not selling the same when you're a fo- when you're in a fucking uh, killer crossface. You know what I mean? Yeah, but the mask always reads well from the back of the room, and you can tell what's going on. Uh, traditionally, the Pedrolino character would wear quote white face, which would just be literally flour from working in the kitchen. Um, it was not like a race or ethnicity thing. It was just flour. Um, and so that would be the, the mask to denote, um, social status, but you can just play unmasked or with like white grease paint. Um, so I think, I think Pete would be unmasked and would wear glasses. Uh, yeah. Do we want to do the, like one more little detail about Pete a piece? Yeah. That's how we close out the pod. Yes, I do. I do. I do. I do. Give us a a detail about Pete. Um, he has a little notebook where he has all of his little suggestions he wants to tweak in the coffee shop to make it better. And one of them is he wants to have an open mic night where he can read his beat poetry. That's funny. Is it good beat poetry? Do we find out? Okay, great. Absolutely not. And it never happens. Pete is always drinking coffee. Like an alarming amount of the coffee of the time we see him. Pete is drinking from coffee. Oh, I don't I don't know if this works. But, like, I would like it to every scene, Pete has, like, a, a new crisp tie, but then spills the coffee on it, so has to put on the old classic tie. I think in every scene, Darren could accidentally spill coffee. Or you would do a bit, or a lotso, where Zani, or Darren, spills coffee on Pete, like, multiple times in a row. And every time he, like, he has to leave and come back wearing a different shirt and apron and tie multiple times for the same order. That would be a fun gag to do. We did it, It would be hard to do for an entire show. Pete the barista. What a, 
Baristino. What a, what a stupid, funny, simple character. Um, I mean, what a, what a long time to get to this deeply simple stock character because we needed to understand what the fuck Commedia is and how it works, sort of. Well, I talked for probably three <laughs> times as long as you asked me to, and I think it was it was fun. I enjoyed. No, the totally. It's just gonna be a slightly longer. I, there's episode. still so much I didn't say, but and that's a okay. Um, uh, we're going to start doing sign-offs now, because it's already been a long one. So, uh, this has been, uh, the show that it is, uh, original podcast, Do Not Steal. I've been Amber Autumn, see <laughs> her. And much like Pete is constantly trying to climb the corporate ladder, but failing miserably, Amber, I will do everything within my power to get a fucking sponsorship to this podcast, but it's never going to happen because we have four goddamn listeners. I've it's been honestly Prince my Devin. favorite pair of headphones. And my name is Join John us Prime. Next week. Oh yeah, you, you can follow, follow me on, on Twitter, Twitter at John. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at John Prime on Twitter Join us next week, where John will answer all of the Comedia Del Arte questions he didn't get to answer on today's Probably episode. True. I will. I will. I will. I will. Uh, join us next week when Devin will try to get us to talk about pro wrestling, but instead we talk about Trigun. Whatever that is. Dragon! Dragon! It's gonna be a Devon episode. You know, Devon episodes, you know what Devon episodes are like by now. Okay. Uh bye. Bye! bye. I hope I hope you learned something. <laughs> <laughs>